let's bow our heads and talk to this Lord here who has this astounding power to take the messes and muddles of our lives and what we've done with who we are and cut through it all to reach our hearts make something beautiful out of us. Lord Jesus, walk amongst us. Sit down and chat with us as you did with the lady at the well. Speak to us about our heart's need and the heart's need of those around us. Convince us overwhelmingly of your power to come and fill the empty places in our lives. And turn the sourness and sickness into a spring of living water that blesses not just us, but everyone who meets us. So, Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. Take our hearts, Lord Jesus, and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, we've got one of those fantastic encounters of Jesus with just one person. You will note as we make our way through this whole series leading to Good Friday and Easter Sunday that Jesus encounters ordinary folks unplanned. You know, I have a calendar. And I have all kinds of appointments. And keeping up with them is not easy. But Jesus said most of his great stuff and did most of his fantastic things off the cuff, almost incidentally. Incidentally, people who just came across his path. So this lady that we're speaking of gets up that morning. She had no idea when she got up. It would have been later in the morning because all the nice ladies were up early and gone to get the water early and been chatting with each other about how well their kids are doing in school, their husband's new promotion at work. They'd come and gone. And she comes out by herself. It's noontime. And she had no idea when she made her way to that well that she had an appointment with Jesus. No idea. Not just a life-changing appointment for her, 
but a revolutionary effect because Jesus met her and way beyond, but in chapter 4, same chapter, the whole of that Sychar village was absolutely transformed. Jesus ended up spending two days there. All out of the blue. Because he ran into this woman. Now there are three things we're going to be looking at. Here they are. Concerning his encounter with that woman. Number one. That there is no one so messed up. That Jesus cannot reach them and rescue them and transform them. We use the word and drop it around lightly, broken. You know, broken people. This woman was absolutely crushed. There was a reason why she was coming by herself. Because she was not accepted by the rest of the women. She was on her own. And Jesus reaches her. We'll come back to that. Second big lesson is this. And it may surprise you that as messed up as this woman was, she knew all the religious issues to talk about with Jesus as the story unfolds. So it wasn't that she was religiously inept, uneducated, or disconnected. She knew the stuff to talk about when you start talking religion. And there is nobody who is so full of religious claptrap, so full of religious jargon, no let, no no one so layered in the issues, the religious issues of the day, that Jesus cannot cut through it all and speak such truths as are absolutely radically transforming to that individual. That's the second big point. The third one is this. No one has such a history and a past that's messed up that Jesus not only can take them and make something beautiful out of them, but through them reach a whole community and she ends up, this lady, not being the reject, an outcast, but the heroine of the whole scene. That's what Jesus can do. Take the most messed up person you can imagine and not just fix them, but in all probability, they become even the more powerful, more usable to reach a whole world of messed up people. Which is what happened with this lady. So let me lead you through that, and we'll 
Take a look at it together. When she comes out to the well, Jesus engages her in conversation. I want to come back to that as well. There's so much here that it's hard to sort it out. But in their conversation, it becomes very, very clear that Jesus has something to offer that is radically different than anything she's ever experienced. So here they are at the well, talking about his getting a drink from the woman. And she gets into not just some religious stuff, but cultural stuff. I mean, this woman has it all there in place, ready to fire it out. For instance, how is it you, a Jew, speak to me a Samaritan? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. It was a cultural issue. And she was just calling him, you're a Jew. She knew he was a Jew. She knew she was a Samaritan. And culturally, Jews, the Jewish religious people, discarded radically the Samaritans. They were a mixed breed. They were absolutely culturally unacceptable And here is Jesus chatting with this woman, and she says, you're a Jew. What are you doing talking to me? So in contemporary terms, from her vantage point, she plays the race card. And when the disciples see her chatting with a woman, that was equally unacceptable to be speaking with a woman you don't know. A Samaritan woman at that... And a messed up Samaritan woman at that. And Jesus is chatting with her and dignifying her with a conversation that down through the centuries has been a blessing. He says to her, listen to this, if you drink the water that I give you to drink, you will never thirst again, but out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water welling up to eternal life. She was thirsty for something that real. It's to her that Jesus says as they get into conversation that we will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And such the Father seeks to worship him. Another profound statement. Worshipping in spirit and in truth. Not in just the religious traditions of either the Samaritans or the Jews. Neither in Jerusalem nor here will worship be the deal. It will be in spirit and in truth. And the Father is actually seeking people to worship him. Another big deal. And later on in the conversation, she plays another religious piece. She said, we know that the Messiah, when he comes, that was all the buzz. That was all the conversation. She knew the issues. When the Messiah comes, he'll lead us into all the truth. 
And that's when Jesus comes with the show-stopping statement, I who speak to you am he. I am that Messiah. He, in an incidental conversation, from a human point of view, that is, with a woman who just turns up in the middle of the day to get water, ends up communicating all these phenomenal and profound truths which we latch on to. You may know the name Blaise Pascal. He was a genius of a Frenchman, a mathematician, and a philosopher. He died in 1662, so you know he's a few centuries away. But Blaise Pascal is the man who coined that notion that inside every human being is a God-shaped vacuum. That is a space that only God can fill. We tend to fill it with all kinds of other stuff. All this coming out of this conversation, this incidental conversation with this woman... Now, when we say that there is no one so messed up that Jesus can't reach them and rescue them, this is how messed up she was. And you heard this read to you. Verse 16. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is that you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Can you imagine surviving Ladies, let me just chat with you a moment. Can you imagine surviving five husbands? How are you getting on with the one you got? Five. And was currently shacked up, to use the language of our day, with a guy who was not her husband. Why marry another one? I've been through five. So now you've got this live-in relationship. Do you know how discarded she would be under those circumstances in her culture in that day? She couldn't get on a plane and go to L.A. and get lost in the crowd. She was stuck with her environment, her place, that's why she was coming out alone. That's why no other women wanted to be around her, let alone having a life and a community. She was an outcast, very alone, very empty, very discarded. And she knew that sex wasn't where the answer was. She'd had her load of that. She knew that one more man was not the answer. 
in her circumstance, here is Jesus telling her about what can fill that emptiness which she's tried to fill with so many other things. And he reaches her. Because he is the one who gives that life. If you knew who you were talking to, he said to her, you would ask of him and he'd give you a drink. And when you drank what he had to give you, you'd never thirst again. But in fact, you'd have this living fountain of water welling up within you. So that's not a little puddle or a cup. That's a fountain. That's like when you're connected with Jesus, you've got a fountain of life that not only blesses you, but keeps flowing. A, flower, a fountain keeps flowing. It's an ongoing, amazing experience to have the life of Christ in you welling up. It's not like you've got to go pump it up. He himself, Jesus in you, wells up with a whole new experience of life. That's exactly what the woman was looking for. In all that stuff. I know that was true in my own experience. Probably yours. The kind of stuff you've gotten yourself into in the past is because you're looking for some kind of great experience. Life with some kind of zip and enthusiasm and greatness about it. And outside of getting to know Jesus, it all crumbles. There's nothing there. Nothing. And you find that out. And then you get very, very discouraged and depressed. What is there? More of the same? That woman, when she met Jesus, was absolutely radically changed. When she hears Jesus point out about her five husbands and the man she's living with who's not her husband, we come to the second major truth that Jesus can cut through all the religious stuff because she immediately turns on the religious faucet. Her response was, you must be a prophet. How do you know that stuff? You must be a prophet. She starts talking religious language. You must be a prophet. And then she goes on to say, and this is one of the big discussions of the day, you Jews say Jerusalem's the right place to worship, and we Samaritans have our own place. She knew that was an issue. And when Jesus said, neither there nor here, but the Father seeking people to worship him in spirit and in truth, he's nailing a truth, a central truth, that cuts through all that garbage about tradition, history. You know, in Western PA, we've got a whole bunch of different religious traditions. And you get in a conversation with somebody, and they can start talking religion, whether it's Catholicism, or Pentecostalism, or Orthodoxy, or whatever. Contemporary, cool worship like this, traditional, everybody's sort of doing singing chants. People can talk religion. 
It's inevitable you, that if you get into any kind of spiritual conversation, it goes to that kind of conversation. Meanwhile, the Father is seeking the heart, seeking people who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He cuts through it all. And then she goes to the big conversation of the peace. We know that the Messiah's coming. She knew that was a religious conversation. She goes into that. Now let me ask you, here is this lady gone through five husbands, living with a guy who's not her husband. It's been pointed out to her, and she's now talking religious stuff. What do you think she's doing by doing that? When she starts talking about Jesus being a prophet, she's talking, she starts talking about him, not herself. What do you think, what do you call that? Avoidance? Deflection? When she starts talking the cultural thing, her a woman, her a Samaritan, what do you think she's doing? Putting space between them? When she starts talking about the Messiah coming, she knew all the religious stuff to talk about. Why was she doing it? Because she didn't want to deal with the mess that was her life. It's easy to talk religious, controversial, divisive stuff when the real need is that vacuum in your life. And rather than deal with her stuff, she's now talking about religious stuff out there. I would say to you, don't be fooled by those kinds of religious conversations. You've got to look beyond the arguments and the discussion and talk about Jesus who can transform a life. Jesus himself. Go right to the source. Jesus cut through it all. And the showstopper, as I said, was when he said, I'm the Messiah. I'm the very one who will speak the truth to you, who does know how to fill that emptiness. I'm the Messiah. I am that one. The third piece is this, that nobody has such a past that they can't become substantial, important to God's kingdom and his work. Because what this lady does, she actually leaves her water jar and goes back to the village. Do you see what she did there? She, that water jar was what she brought to come get water from the well. It actually says she left her water jar and went back to the village and she went running through Sychar saying, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Do you think that got people's attention? Absolutely. They all knew who she was. In fact, I would almost guarantee there were guys in that town who when they heard her running up their street saying, come and meet a man who told me everything I ever did, were saying to themselves, shut her up because they'd been to her back door. 
how vulnerable she was. She knew that they knew her life history. And she didn't pretend. The covers were off. But she had met Jesus. And she was saying to them, you come and meet this man who knows everything about me. And he's talking about it. He told me anyway, everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah, she asks. Could this be the Messiah? And they were pouring out of the village to Jesus. Very interesting little comment here is this. Do you remember right at the beginning, there's just a little line that Pastor Jared read in reading the account where it says, the disciples had gone to the village to get lunch. Do you remember that little line? That's why Jesus was sitting by himself. They'd gone off to get lunch. When they came back, let me just read you this piece of the story. It's not in your service sheet. If you've got your own Bibles there, you can look at this. But uh, verse 27, it says, Just then, the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. There's that issue. But no one asked him, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah, the Christ? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile... His disciples urged him, because they'd returned with food, as you noted, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, could someone else have brought him food? They were ticked off. They'd gone fixing food for nothing. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. And so what it goes on to say is this, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony, namely, that he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. She had gone and brought the town back. The disciples went to get lunch, and what did they come back with? Lunch. They went back, they went into the very self-same town. They're the elites. They're close to Jesus. And they go to that town, and what do they come with, back with? Lunch. 
that one woman, day one in meeting Jesus, goes back to that town and comes back with the people. And that town was transformed. And they're now saying to her, we don't, we believe not just because of your testimony, but we've heard him for ourselves, and we believe him to be the savior of the world. That one woman pulled off what the rest of the disciples who were busy about food and shopping and feeding Jesus and getting ticked off because he won't stop teaching and speaking to these people who are coming and pay attention to them and eat the food they've prepared. It's a lesson there for us. Where are our hearts? Is it all about us? That woman knew it wasn't about her. And she's pointing to Jesus. Come and meet a man. Come and meet the Messiah. Could it be him? And they came and they met him and they became believers. It would change the whole community. Now we're advertising. Pastor Jared spoke to you about going down to Planned Parenthood. That's where this prayer vigil is. Down in the city of Pittsburgh. We've got two half days. or Several periods of an hour or so, or two or three, to go and stand outside Planned Parenthood and pray. That's happening now as part of 40 Days of Life. And other churches around the city, other Christian groups, are picking off their piece of time and their people are turning up. My wife and I, Kathy and I, and other staff are going to be out there praying. Come and be with us. Go get the information at the table outside. Kathy Klein, one of our congregation, is heading up that piece. Get signed up. We should have had a testimony from a woman who runs that deal. But she lives in Lower Burrell. And given the weather, didn't make it. You could have heard from her. But here's the deal. You're being there and you're praying. Those women are coming to have an abortion. What is the power of one woman who meets Jesus? What Nikki Bruni would have told you is this. That one year she was out there praying and a woman came who was determined to have an abortion and did not. Next piece, a year later, that woman comes by with a baby and says to her, thank you for being out here praying. This is my baby. Just one woman. The brilliance of Jesus in meeting just one person, just like you. One person. As we respond to him, the ripple effect is staggering. You might be that person. 
And there may be that one person that you're going to touch, whether at work, school, play, whatever. Let me ask you to bow your heads with me right now. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that you too come looking for us one at a time and that we are important to you. And no matter how we have screwed up in the past, you are able to forgive, cleanse, and fill and use us, me. Thank you, Lord Jesus. So we pray about this prayer vigil at Planned Parenthood and whether we should be responsive to you and go. We pray about the praying that goes on there and the simple testimony of being there to pray, making the issue a spiritual issue. Hear our prayers, Lord, and as you've spoken to us, Make us responsive to all the hope, the joy, the fountain of living water of life that you have for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.